Hi, and welcome to the Sexy Aging Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Monoknuku. This podcast covers conversations with experts, journalists, writers, entrepreneurs, doctors, and kick-ass humans making the most of their midlife. We talk about menopause a lot. My personal messed up menopause journey was the catalyst to this podcast, and so I hope I can help you navigate your way through midlife and menopause with more information and education than I had. Since launching the podcast, I've written a book, My Menopause Memoir, available on Amazon, an online course for menopause management to help you navigate your menopause journey, and a fitness and wellness app for the menopause woman. There are gym-based and home-based strength training sessions, short hit workouts, yoga for stress and sleep, as well as specific mobility, balance, agility, and core training sessions. You'll also receive a daily menopause management tip and be able to start a conversation with me, all in the app. You can find all of these tools at the Sexy Aging website. All the links are in the show notes, including discounts to the course, free sign up to the app, and discounts to products that I endorse. But we're yeah. actually we're here today because you are um, a skincare expert, um, and one of the top topics that I get asked about from listeners and people that drop into the sexy aging website is um is about the changes of skin during menopause um how about we just dial it right back and talk about you and your experience because you're going through menopause you're a doctor how did you pull all this together um so the first thing to say is that I didn't learn anything about menopause when I was going through either um medical school or GP training and it was Yeah. And, you know, your patients are consulting you about it, but I also hit sort of general practice around the same time as this really big study that you may or may not have heard of called the Women's Health Initiative kind of broke. And the study, which was deeply, deeply flawed, um, that probably most of your listeners will know inside out, back or front, basically linked um, uh, taking hormone replacement therapy and breast cancer. Now, that has been really debunked now. But at the time, not only did up to 80% of women who were taking hormone replacement therapy chuck it in the bin, but we just basically shut down the industry. So the main um, manufacturers of hormone replacement therapy uh, got bought out. The company that bought them had to pay, you know, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuits. Um, There were, they just, most drug companies shut down their women's health divisions. They stopped researching it. And doctors like me were terrified of prescribing it. And so not only did we not prescribe hormone replacement therapy, but we just sort of stopped talking about menopause. It became like almost a cosmetic issue. Like, you know, if you can't put up with a couple of flushes here and there, what's wrong with you? You're a loser. Um, Just don't even worry about it. And it's literally women were too embarrassed to talk about it. Doctors had no answers for them anyway. So it really became an, a black hole um, for women, for doctors, for nurses, mm. and actually got filled by um, a lot of purveyors of garbage. There's a lot of supplements out there that are doing super well. And I understand why they're there. It's because there was nothing else, right, for, for women to take. Yeah. And the only people who were talking to them about this taboo subject were people in the non-evidence-based space. But again, 
I'm like a really, a real evangelist against women getting ripped off. I just hate it. I, yeah, same. I hate it when I take to my car to get serviced. And honestly, the guy could be able to tell me anything because I wouldn't have a clue. Or if a plumber comes over and tells me I have a $5,000 plumbing disaster and, you know, it's going to cost a fortune to fix it. What, am I, what do I know? I'm just going to say yes, because I, I really don't know. Um, but I hate it and I don't like it. And I don't like it in the health space even more because it should be easy to get the information, right? Yeah. And so it just, I guess I was just drawn to it because of being irritated. Also, as I was getting older and starting mm -hmm. to go into perimenopause in my 40s, you know, I was starting to notice my patient, you know, you tend to get patients the same age as you who are all going through it as well. I didn't have the answers. And I'm really lucky I host a podcast, which is for doctors. And we started doing a lot of women's health things. And as I would be, you know, interviewing these, particularly these menopause experts, I'd be going, I have no idea about this. Like, it's actually terrifying. And I'm a hey, doctor Jenny, who does women's health. This is the exact reason I started the podcast. So I've, uh, any listeners have been tuning in and they're hearing my education on this topic as we go through, much the same as you, as you start to talk to the experts, you're like, how is it that we don't know this? And then you, you said you're a GP, you never had the training. It's like mind blowing, right? Yeah. And also to find out about it, I had to really teach myself. So I joined, I applied for membership and joined the Australian Menopause Society, the International Menopause Society. They are actually prolific with their education for members. It's actually amazing. Yeah. The problem is um, you need to be highly motivated to go and access it and you've got to pay, right? And a lot of doctors are like, I'm too busy. I don't really want to know yeah. this. Plus, if I prescribe in the menopause space, I'm just going to have my ass sued. And so a lot of doctors just step away from it, which I, I really get, but I feel mm. like if we owe our sisters like this. We owe it to them to provide them with you know, evidence-based treatments. And I just think the fact that so many of my patients were accessing kind of bioidentical hormones thinking that they were safe or a whole range of online supplements that promised a whole heap of stuff that, look, we know in some studies uh, the placebo effect for hot flushes is up to 75%, so that's great. But that tends to wear off, right? You mm -hmm. certainly hit this initial rush of like, wow, it's working, it's working, only to yeah. go, it's not working. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that now means you're... your placebo effect is now gone. Um, yeah, you're so, hot, sweaty you know, I... and poor. <laughs> Exactly. Right. And it's exploitative. It's just an, yeah. it's unreasonable for women. And you know what? Things haven't gotten any easier. We've got a lot of inflation. Women are choosing now between filling their car with, with petrol and paying for stuff for their kids and buying these supplements that won't work for their menopause. It's almost unconscionable that this even exists. So um, yeah. I think that was my passion. So I wrote this thing. So I'm holding up for all the listeners. I'm holding up my book, The M Word, which is how to thrive in menopause. And that's really how it started. It was actually researching the book and joining the menopause societies and getting super involved and actually finding out that, you know, we've got stuff that works in like 96 to 98% of cases. We don't get that for anything. We don't get that yeah. for asthma. We don't get it for heart disease. We don't get it for high blood pressure. We're lucky if, you know, 50% of our high blood pressure treatments work. You often need three or four things to be together. This is an area we can really help you. So the fact that women are sucking it up or being told to suck it up by anybody like the sisterhood or by their doctors is unacceptable. Yeah. And now the evidence that's coming out that women are actually quitting work because yeah. of menopause symptoms how is it that we have a gender pay gap? We have companies who claim to want women in the C-suite and women in senior executive roles 
except that they drop out in their 40s because they go through an anxiety, you know, or fall off a confidence cliff. How is it that governments have no policies around this, no one is talking about this, and even the women who do want access to treatment only have a whole lot of rubbish out there? Am I allowed to swear? I have a potty mouth. Absolutely. (laughs) You obviously haven't listened to my podcast. (laughs) So I swear all the time. So sorry. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's just so much complete shit out there that is exploitative. And so I just, um, this has been a bit of a passion project. And once you're on the train, you're so hard to get off and including the skin. Yeah, look, I'm I'm with you. I'm that, I'm on that fast train to education and help women, and I will shout it from the rooftops. Just a little um, backstory. I've just come off. I don't often go into these Facebook groups. I actually find them really demotivating because people want yeah. to complain and they actually don't want to hear the truth. So occasionally, I go in there and I share scientific information resources where they can get the information not always my stuff you know dr jen gunter dr lara bryden there are some really fantastic experts and they all have slightly different perspectives so it can suit whatever the person needs but you go into the facebook groups and they're like okay so intermittent fasting ladies this is the thing i'm like (laughs) uh no (laughs) let's not try that i mean if you're naturally finishing eating at seven at night and having breakfast at eight or nine in the morning, you're kind of naturally fasting anyway, but why do the whole 20 hour, four hour thing? I'm like, that's not good. That's for a diabetic, right? I'm pretty sure it's not a menopause thing. So it's just stuff that you're reading and hearing about people really, it's almost like they don't want the science. They want the quick fix. And menopause is a really unique stage of life that you've got to put that whole mentality of quick fix to the side and go, I've got the rest of my life to look after my health. And some of these foundations on health, they're going to take time. And I can tap into the medical support of HRT and that's available to me. But this is now a foundation of time that I need to really look after my health to make sure I'm not going to have heart disease, I'm not going to have osteoporosis, I'm going to be able to walk up a mountain at 80. Um, so I think it's really hard for women to accept that these all these quick fixes and snake oils and supplements and stuff, it's, it's not working and they don't want to hear about it in the Facebook groups. <laughs> look, each to his own. I think that if somebody is having a really good midlife experience um then I guess they're not going to they they don't have an issue and that's fine yeah I think where we've got to you know and we found this out with COVID vaccines we can really just jam ourselves into a corner and exclude everybody else and it rip families apart I think we've just got to um be a broad church and have as many people at the table as possible as long as women have access to good evidence-based information if they choose the unevidence-based stuff whatever like you know I don't mind it's their that's their choice I don't it's it's their money they can do what they want but I don't want women feeling desperate and to feel like all they can have is you know a bit of turmeric because there's simply nothing else available out there um, and buy a whole lot of weight loss supplements that really don't work because they feel like that's the only choice because everyone else is telling them to get next. So, yeah, yeah, I think um, like so many things, there are a few people who are very loud and very aggressive and um, very defensive of their patch, um, but most of us are quietly stalking these groups and just trying to cherry-pick the information we want. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, on your TV show or any time that you've been on television, we took you, you had something here, things that we don't talk about. Has menopause started to accelerate in the conversation in Australian society generally? Yeah, so you would say that um, Europe and the UK is probably around about 10 years ahead of Australia. <laughs> We're a little bit ahead of the US, I would say. Yeah, I um, agree. Where they're just really conservative and where Michelle Obama comes out and says that she's gone through menopause at age 53 and that makes front page of the papers because everyone goes... <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's really been people like Davina McCall, people who've sort of um, celebrities who've come out. Um, I feel like Naomi Watts, because she is an Australian, has sort of helped in Australia, even though, you know, hers is product related, um, mm. her talking about menopause. I think it's it's still helpful. Um, yeah. So it, it's as more celebrities talk about it, we're starting to get with the program. I have been really interested that here in Australia there is real movement at the station at the political level. So um, the first cab off the rank was New South Wales where yes. the Minister for Women announced a $40 million um, package to, um, look, nothing's happened so far. I'm just like, <laughs> okay, you announced the package. Yeah. What are you doing? Come on. Yeah. Um, but there's at least they've sort of recognised that there's a real gap and that women need this support. Um, the federal government is... I know um, I've spoken to a couple of people, in, you know, ministers and the team that has come on are very into women's health and are coming up. They are researching at the moment a whole range of options in the way that the federal government can support women going through menopause. Um, I think menopause in the workplace is mm. something that's really starting to take off. Um, one of my businesses, which is called Don't Sweat It, which is a program, it's a sort of a 360 program to support women in the workplace. Um, we've had meetings with big government organisations and big um, corporates who are really interested in supporting their midlife women, mainly because they don't want to lose them. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. We're a big resource they don't want to lose. So I think that we are getting there. Where I feel like we are not getting there at all is talking about the impacts of menopause on the vagina and on sex and on the bladder. So mm -hmm. we're good at we're, now women can sort of go, oh, I'm having a flash. So that's good. Um uh, the interest in women um, in taking evidence-based treatments like hormone replacement therapy and doing so without fear has just yeah. gone up and up and up, which yeah. is great. Um, but we're still not talking about the impacts below the belt, which is a real shame because yeah. with hot flushes, if you if you wait them out, you know, for 19 out of 20 women, they eventually go away not quickly and they have a big take a big toll on your mental and physical and brain health in the meantime but they will you know if you if you can be bothered if they will go away with the vaginal symptoms of menopause they never get better yeah they get progressively worse and to the point where we also can't fix it very much the ceiling of how good we can ever make things just goes down and so if you don't address what's happening in your vagina till you're in your 60s you've probably left it too late not that it's at any point, even in your 70s, it's worth fixing it, but we can just, there's a limit to how good we can ever make your vagina again if we're not talking about it in our 50s. And there are too many women who are having what we could now call the cervical screening test that we used to call a pap test, where no one is just going, um, your vagina looks really dry. How are things going in that yeah. department? Because there's an in there. We can talk about it, yeah. but we're just not. Yeah. My last two episodes on the podcast are about vaginal dryness. 
So yeah. yeah, like I just was like using World Menopause Month to, you know, go boosh with this topic because yeah. I felt like it was so important and that so nobody important. talks. I actually talk about it all the time. I teach classes, I yeah. teach spin workouts as a hobby and I'm looking around the room and I'm going, where are the other 50 year old women for such a great low impact cardiovascular workout? It's not going to hurt your joints, but oh, they can't sit on the seat. That's yep. probably... A pro that's a problem right whereas i'm actually dealing with my problem <laughs> and i can continue yeah. to do this so yeah and it is a huge issue and it's i mean you know the bladder is also a huge issue there are a whole lot of yes. women who are missing from gyms because half the stuff that they're being asked to do in a gym will mean that it. there's a mandatory wetting the pants so you know the reality is our bladders are not great and you don't even need to have had kids to have lost a bit of control of your bladder by this stage yeah. so um you know and there's a whole lot of personal trainers who are you know 25 <laughs> who have no idea that you can't do a burpee that's yeah. a very high risk activity for a woman in her 50s there's a very high chance she loses more than a teaspoonful of wee in her you know yeah. at the time so you know we've got to be doing gym classes a little bit better and I think you know personal trainers are another group that really need education in this yeah space. yeah no thanks for mentioning it that Jenny I am um, that is my background is fitness and um when I was that young 25 year old trainer and training all these incredibly motivated 40 something year olds I had no idea you know I think back and think they used to run into the gym they were CEOs and general managers yeah. own their own companies yeah. they you know really high powered and motivated but yeah. sweating yeah. like anything and then sometimes yes. just crying out of the blue and I would be thinking what's up with her <laughs> you know so I actually feel really kind of disappointed that I didn't have the tools to help them and I trained them as if I trained everyone else the guys the 20 year olds and and now I know different and um I'm on a little bit of a mission to help other young personal trainers understand when yeah. they get that client and there's a few little tweaks and especially about understanding the mental aspect of it. Like sometimes they're going to come into the gym and it's not going to be a good day and you've got to be able to be flexible to the programming, not just run with what you've programmed because you know anything could happen. Oh, hey, and since we've been discussing vaginal dryness and all the other issues that can impact women at midlife and menopause down there, I've had so many women thank me for the recommendation of NatFem Super Soothing Balm. I've included my link and discount to this incredible vaginal moisturizer in the show notes. Hey, I'm going to segue. So we talk about moisturizing your vagina like you moisturize your face. Now, we really want to talk about skincare and um, menopause is a time when our skincare can go kapoosh. <laughs> so can you help us with that, break it down and help us understand why? So it's important to know what estrogen does in the skin and there are lots of estrogen receptors in the skin and it has a very important role. So as you say, it's very important for um, the skin barrier, which maintains water inside the skin. So with the decrease in estrogen that happens towards the end of perimenopause and, and menopause proper, that less, uh, that less, that poor skin barrier leads to trans epidermal water loss, which sounds like a very big mouthful, but it just means that your skin dries out. But also estrogen is really important for both making um, uh, collagen and elastin and also preventing it being broken down. You have some really 
sinister actors inside your skin um, and they are actually enzymes that break down collagen and they're turbocharged by any inflammation and look the biggest um, culprit is definitely um, the sun but it also can be just using like a scrub or something that's really hard on your skin that is pro-inflammatory so that triggers the breakdown of um, of your collagen and your elastin so again you just see aging skin so between those things you often get really itchy skin some women report they actually feel like there is little things crawling on their skin which is awful and also just at a time you know it tends to happen to midlife women which is a time where rosacea often hits so for anyone who's never had rosacea um you often get a lot of redness and uh, across the face yeah yeah Patch, patches. and it can look like yeah, perioral dermatitis as well. So it can look like little um, pimples, uh, but it's often a lot of redness um, across your cheeks. Triggers can be things like everyone's different, but sunlight is often a big one. Getting hot, so hot flushes can make you really go red in the face. Um, but also alcohol, spicy foods, everybody's sort of got their own triggers. You need to know your own triggers so you can avoid them. Um, and then you, the other possible, the, the other problem is these little pimples that happen everywhere and these little blood vessels that are all over the cheeks and they, people hate that. And so you get um, a lot of rosacea coming out. And the other thing is you start to, when you have rosacea, you start to react to every single skincare and actually feel like your skin is burning yeah. all the time yeah and a lot of me. women say I'm allergic yeah. to skincare you're not allergic to skincare you either have very sensitive skin and the biggest cause of sensitive skin in midlife women is actually rosacea yeah so that's me and um, yes yeah and it's just horrendous it's probably the ongoing symptom that drives me nuts and I know what my trigger is and I'm going to say it right now it's alcohol and yeah, I'm in, I'm, the worst? I'm so in denial. Here we are in New Zealand, one of the best producers of Sauvignon Blanc in the world. And I'm now down to a light Sauvignon Blanc with ice. <laughs> oh, wow. Maybe once a week. And if I have more than that, the rosacea goes crazy. So I can yeah. honestly say that's the trigger because I'm doing all the other things, the sunblock, the hats. Um, I guess the exercise means that my body temperature is going up, but I don't seem to notice rosacea post-exercise so I definitely think it could be sugar and alcohol boo <laughs> yeah I know that's so sad. really really common I know I know it's, it's really sad isn't it yeah so you've actually got um you actually have a product that I have tried it's evidence skincare um many of the listeners know that I don't talk about brands on the podcast um and i was so fortunate that one of your team reached out to me and i'd never heard of the product before they reached out and you know personal email asking me how i was doing with my skin and would i be interested in trying some of the evidence skincare and i looked it all up because i need it to be evidence-based and i thought yeah i'm yeah. going to try this so i don't want to take any freebies or anything from any brand um, if they have expectations of me and i can't honestly say that it works or whatever so um, it was great i did try the product i can say it helped me i also made a conscious effort not to have the triggers while i was trying the skincare and i can hand on heart say that um, it was fantastic i could recommend it and it's not the reason that we're having this podcast interview today but i want you to share a little bit about what you figured out about your skincare that helps menopausal women 
So actually this all started, so I do breakfast TV in Australia. I believe in New Zealand, I think you might also have um, morning TV with a doctor who comes on regularly. So I do that in Australia for the number one breakfast television program, which is called Sunrise. And we were doing it for years and every time we would do a segment on what really works in anti-aging skincare, I would go to the evidence. I'd look at all the studies and i go, you need to look for a vitamin C, which is an elescopic acid, 10% concentration, water and oil emulsion. You need to make sure that the pH is less than three. And, you know, and I was sort of talking about, you need to make it sure that it's a, you know, an airless and opaque bottle so that, you know, you don't want a dropper with um, a glass vial because everything will go off and you don't want stabilized vitamin C. And then I would literally get 300, 400 emails going, yes, but what is it? What's the name of it? And, (laughs) And so I had to go, and um, look for it and I went to the biggest department store in Australia and I spent ages in the beauty counter picking up one vitamin C after another just going well no this is not it they've they've stabilized this one or they're not declaring what their pH is so I don't really know Um, and I literally came up with a zero with a donut I couldn't find one thing that I could recommend to these hundreds of viewers that were emailing in and so I kept emailing back to them saying look I'll let you know when I find one can't find one at the moment yeah. So I went to, a, a, you know, being a GP, I had pharmacists around me and I went to compounding pharmacists and I said, could you make an evidence-based vitamin C? And they said, well, not really, because we don't have access to airless and opaque bottles. We'd have to put in a dropper to be off within a week, you know, if we put in a glass mm-hmm. vial with a dropper. Um, and also you need to make it in a dark room because it goes off when it's exposed to light. So we can't really do it. We do, we've got a fully lit room. So I was like, okay. And I went to contract manufacturers and they could do it, but they had to do it at scale. And I was like, well, I don't really, you know, what am I going to be? Little me, I'm just a GP. Why am I going to be doing something? And my husband said, well, why don't you do it? I mean, if you feel like women are getting ripped off and this is your passion, then why don't you just do it and just have that vitamin C available? And it just went from there. I also, uh, I'm very passionate about vitamin A. I was prescribing a lot of it in um, a prescription form because it's got amazing evidence for everything from acne to rosacea to pigmentation yeah. to aging. Um, but people couldn't tolerate it because it's so pro-inflammatory. And a lot of people were turning to retinol. Retinol was huge in the 90s. The problem with retinol is it needs to be converted in the skin to retinol mm. and from retinol to the prescription form. And the problem is that state, that step of going from retinol to retinol is really difficult from, for the skin. So they need to put in 20 times as much retinol as they actually need because it's really difficult to convert it across to retinol. When I found out that you could actually put the retinol directly into the skincare and not worry about your retinol, um, I was like, great, let's go find some retinol products. Again, None. couldn't find them. Yeah. And so, and the, you know, the fact is retinol has no irritation from it. Unlike retinol, you can get a retinol burn and you get the retinol, um, retinoic acid burn from the prescription stuff. I was like, why is not everybody using retinol? This is insane. Well, it turns out it's because it's really, really hard to get. Uh, we get ours from Europe. It needs to be stored at minus 20 degrees Celsius from the factory in Europe to our factory in Australia. It ca- you can't break the cold chain. That is really difficult to do. Wow. You've got to have specific transport. And it is way more expensive than gold. This stuff is super. So I know why people put retinol in their skincare instead of retinol because they want to cut the corners because it's just easier. I just couldn't do it because I couldn't look anybody in the eye. In the eye yeah. And, yeah. And, and give them a, you know, uh, a, a rubbish product so anyway we found a way to get retinol to australia 
Uh, we've put it in our products. Uh, we wow. have the most evidence-based tyrosinase inhibitors, which is for um, pigmentation. All the things that matter to me, um, we've got broad spectrum sunscreen. So we are, um, and we're continuing to develop as the evidence comes to light, new products that meet our brief, which is that they must be evidence-based. And I need to look you in the eye and say, yes, use this because it'll work as opposed to you've cut a few corners, but something very similar could work. Um, I couldn't do that. I, I yeah. just, that's not me. Yeah, no, look, I appreciate that. And hearing you talk about it and all the detail and the, um, you know, like it's so important to you, the evidence. And that's the thing that's important to me too. The the reason that I interview only experts around these topics is because I just, we just can't do the BS, you know, like, yeah. Well, like you say, people are spending way too much money on things that don't work and that they don't oh. need out of desperation, a lot of it, right? So yes. it's just like, just tune in, listen to, listen to some good stuff and then figure it out from there. You know, you can pick and choose what you feel is important. Yes. Um, just a one question. So if we're kind of bringing that um, conversation around what people should spend their money on, when it comes to menopause and skincare, what are your recommended go-tos? So we've already talked about the fact that estrogen is really essential for mon for um, ensuring your skin barrier. And so your skin barrier is really a little impaired. So by the way, while having aging skin or dry skin is not an indication that is approved by any medical body as a reason to go on hormone replacement therapy, if you are going on hormone replacement therapy anyway because you're having hot flushes or because you've been told you've got osteoporosis or thinning bones or severe osteopenia you're not quite at osteoporosis but you're very very close or you're having aches and pains which is a very very common symptom particularly for women who are ethnically Asian and in both New Zealand and Australia that is a very big percentage of our populations yeah. in both countries and so if you are having aches and pains in your joints, I hear my patients talk about their hips, their yeah. lower backs, their legs, they just get aches and pains. It often responds to hormone replacement therapy and it's a good reason to start. Plus, we now have really good evidence that uh, the mental health effects of menopause are really specifically bad for midlife women. It is the peak time for suicide for women. Yes. And we, we have government money being thrown at women in the postnatal period, which for good reason, it's very important and it's important for their babies. But that's not the highest risk time in a woman's life for anxiety and depression. 45 to 55, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's outrageous yeah. that the government doesn't recognise that. Plus, with new guidelines that are coming out and with a lot of the uh, research that is coming out of particularly Monash University, and if, you haven't if you're not following the work of um, Professor Jayashree Kulkarni from Monash University, you should be. But she's really, really clear, as they are in the UK, that hormone replacement therapy is the first cab off the rank before antidepressant medication. Oh, it's yes. not that antidepressant medication won't work. It may well, but we reserve that to people who don't start HRT. And the reason I'm saying that is the first thing for your skin is if you are terrified of HRT, but you have a reason to use it because your mental health is not good, you're, you're one of the one in three, your bones are not good, you're having hot flushes, for free, we're going to throw in better skin, which is a, which is good news. Yeah. But let's say you want to go beyond that because on top of that, you're getting a bit of rosacea or you're now in your 50s and, you know, a life in the sun um, has is starting to catch up with you. I would look at skin barrier repair and the most important ingredient in that is niacinamide, which is vitamin B3. So I would be looking at niacinamide. 
The other thing is you are now losing your collagen at a rate of knots. So it's 2% loss of collagen per year after menopause, which is, you know, that is a lot. You do not want to be losing that. So anything that will boost collagen production. So we're talking about your vitamin C and your vitamin A. So we've just talked about the most evidence-based form of vitamin A. The most evidence definitely sits in the space of the prescription vitamin A, but 50% of people can't tolerate it because it's just too um, drying and too inflammatory. And the problem with that is there are a lot of people who talk about skin cycling, you know, doing your vitamin A every second day or every third day. Yeah. Dermatologists have been doing it for years, but we have zero studies that say that it will work. The studies that show that vitamin A builds collagen they are studies when it's used every day. We have zero evidence for using it every second day or from diluting it in your um, moisturizer. So I think just be careful if you do skin cycling that we can't promise you what the results will be. Whereas sure. if you go to some a mild vitamin A like retinol, where studies show that retinol is as effective as retinoic acid, so it's exactly the same minus the irritation, that's where I would be going. And that's certainly what I use is retinol. And I do use an evidence-based vitamin C because I managed to find one. Yeah. Um, yes, it doesn't have a long shelf life, uh, but we do use airless and opaque bottles and we do use L-ascorbic acid. Um, in the, we have different vitamin C products, but we have one that we have between 10 and 16%. And we do combine with uh, vitamin E and in one case, uh, ferulic acid. So yeah. they'd be the sorts of things that I'd be looking at is your A's, uh, B's and C's. And don't forget your exfoliating acids, your fruit acids. So that's, we're talking about ahas, you know, alpha hydroxy mm. acids. There's less evidence for uh, beta hydroxy acids which is what we usually call your salicylic acid there's less that's there's great evidence for um, acne less evidence for aging skin but your ahas they are both moisturizing and they help build collagen and they smooth the skin and they in the case of retinol they help retinol work better so ideally you would use some ahas before you would use your retinol and if you're getting pigmentation, I'd go for a tyrosinase inhibitor. So we use 4-ambutyl resorcinol just because in studies it's been shown to be the most powerful at inhibiting tyrosinase. Tyrosinase is the enzyme that sits inside your skin and helps your melanocytes, your pigment-making cells, make pigment. If you switch off tyrosinase, you cannot make new pigment. Don't forget your skin cells will take 28 to 56 days to turn over. So the cells that still have pigmentation in them, you've got to wait for them to exfoliate and you will help them do that with using your exfoliating acids, your um, alpha hydroxy acids, and also with your vitamin A, which helps with skin cell turnover. But at the end of the day, there is no product that fades your skin. You have to do that gradually by basically waiting for the, the pigment that's in your skin to cycle off. And that can take up to 56 days. Yeah. Well, okay. So we've got all the content that we could ever need to support our skin. And I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. And I'm going to, obviously, I didn't talk about your book, The M Word. So let me pop that in there too and how people can access the book. Um, have you got any last words? I mean, I could t talk to you for literally hours, but the podcast episodes yeah. are like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So any last well, words? And things? I mean, I'm just fascinated by, you've obviously been in the space and talking about menopause for a while now i can hear it um yeah. yeah anything that you've got for our listeners just um thanks for listening thanks for supporting the sisterhood thanks for yeah. letting what happened to you where where and i'm talking to the listeners yeah where you didn't know what was happening to your body where no one was talking about it where you had to suffer in silence or try to fix your workplace or fix your skin or fix your sex life on your own 
thanks for not letting that happen to the sisterhood because this is really important. Women need to support women. We need to get the word out there and we need to collaborate. Podcasts like this are so important to getting the word out there, to building a community and to being inclusive. Let everybody come in and join and let everybody have access to the evidence-based information. And they can share it. You can choose what you want. You want the supplements, no worries, but at least you have the full suite of choices and you are the one making the decision, not because it's the only thing available to you. Yeah, I love that, Ginny. Thank you so much. Thanks. That interview with Dr. Ginny was fire. I'm grateful that Evidence Skincare are helping me with my rosacea skin in menopause. ESK actually has a full menopause skincare range and you can access my discount code to the range in the show notes. I love passing on recommended evidence-based brands and saving you money too. Let me know what you think. Talking about that, if you listen to these episodes on Apple Podcasts, I'd love for you to rate and review as this will make the podcast more visible to our menopause sisters searching for answers. And if you are listening to Spotify, you can give your feedback to my poll or my questions right from the Spotify app and that will come directly to me. And now I have to go moisturise. All the things. Stay sexy.